Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that shape their lives. I'm Adam Unz. Thank you for joining me once again. Coming up on today's show, you'll hear my chat with singer, songwriter, and all-around musician extraordinaire, Erwin Sparks. He is the front man for the band The Hoosiers, and the debut album for his new project, White Tail Falls, will be out next month. I know I usually save the recommendations for the end, but dudes, check out the White Tail Falls stuff. It's so fucking good. Honestly, it's really beautiful, lush and dreamy and emosh. It's ace. More on that later, though. Erwin and I had a wide-ranging chat about three giants of the music industry. Bruce Springsteen, Guns N' Roses, and Moses Sumney. It's a little bit of a longer chat than usual, and you want to know why? Because it's fucking great. That's not bragging. It's just a fact. I couldn't edit anything out of it, you guys. It's all killer, no filler. And let's be honest... You need stuff to fill your time. You don't have any big plans right now, so I guess what I'm saying is, you're welcome. Erwin and I have known each other for a little bit, and it was really lovely chatting with him. He's what the kids call a solid dude. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. I think you will. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about procrastination. Chatting to Erwin about Guns N' Roses got me thinking about Chinese Democracy, their last album, which was 20 years in the making. Now, it may be unfair to cite this as an example of procrastination. Maybe Axel was hard at work, 9 to 5, every day for 20 years. Or maybe, and let's face it, more likely, there were other reasons involved in the insane delay. There are tons of reasons why art can take a long time to produce. Sometimes it's the pressure of living up to expectations. Uh, Portishead took 10 years to produce their third album, at least partially due to that very reason. So perhaps the weight of expectations can slow you down. Fear can slow you down. And sometimes it's just pure laziness. I am the world's worst procrastinator. I love to learn things, but I hate studying and I hate preparing, which always made me a very unenthusiastic student. And that attitude has bled over into my artistic pursuits, too. As an actor, I've always hated rehearsal. I love when a play is on its feet, when it's second nature and I'm an expert in what I'm doing. I hate the process of learning it, the process of creating. It always feels like the torture of running a race to me. It's a relief when it's done and you can bask in the glow of accomplishment. I love to have learned. I hate learning. Shitty attitude, right? 
And that's where the procrastination kicks in. Even with this podcast, the most gratifying project I've ever worked on, I still get that I don't want to do my homework feeling when I'm putting each episode together. But I think, I hope, that the end result is worth all that angst. Now that the world has slowed down considerably, artistic output might diminish a bit, or maybe a lot. Since I've been leaving the house less, my procrastination has definitely gotten worse. But maybe the opposite will be true in the long run. I'm hopeful that the artists I love who've gone away for a while and struggled under the weight of expectation will feel a little less pressured in this slowed-down world. And maybe, when all of this is over, those procrastinators will have some amazing shit to share with the world. Good enough? Not good enough? I'm ready to stop either way, so that's all you're getting. Let's get on with the main event, shall we? Here comes my chat with Erwin Sparks about Bruce Springsteen, Guns N' Roses, and Moses Sumney. So, Bruce Springsteen, I think, is a, a fantastic place to start. Do you remember somebody introducing him to you or, you know, he is one of those huge people who I think uh, is pretty difficult to escape. But uh, do you have specific memories of getting into him? Yeah, you know, it's it's almost a, an easy answer, isn't it? To, to think of someone like a, a towering influence on, on music, you could say, let alone just, just personally. But yeah, I'd say... Um, I remember it was a uh, the holiday that nearly broke the Sparks family, and um, we were. It was the, the whole Disney World one. We were one of those those lucky ones, so I could rub it into the face of all my school friends when I was about seven, and um, we went over to Disney World. And I remember just every time the radio was on, I was born in the USA, and I didn't care for it that much. I was more of a um, money for nothing kind of guy that was also exploding at the time, and. Um, <laughs> yes. But but certainly, I'd, I'd say it was it, kind of the familiarity breeds contempt situation that he was just there. Bruce Springsteen was just there growing up, and uh, a kind of people like that. He didn't seem like he was necessarily relevant to me growing up in the eighties. And it was only many years later when I started to do co-writes with some some very successful writers, and there was continuity of of references, and people would always say to me. In the interest of name dropping here, because that's always fun, right? Kathy Dennis or Egg White, who, who's they've written songs with like from Adele and Will Young, and yeah, they all, everyone was saying you've got to check out Bruce Springsteen. You know, you've you've really got to look into his back catalogue, and so I did. And actually, I found it was like hearing him for the first time, but being early thirties, probably like yeah, thirty one or two or something and that was when the love affair began and kind of and, and I yeah, it would be very easy to select other people who have affected you and, and you can easily fight their corner people who you've had maybe it's a cerebral reaction something like undeniable like a Dylan or Randy Newman but for me it was Bruce Springsteen it was something about this the second time it came around hearing him with my my ears as as a man rather than a boy perhaps that, mm. that it sort of had evoked like a real emotional response. Yeah. And I think with his stuff, I mean, speaking specifically about Born in the USA, for a variety of reasons, people have had either a misconception of of who he is as an artist or what his music is about or have needed to kind of dig in and kind of take a second listen to be able to get to appreciate him. Um, And with Born in the USA, I think I, I myself felt 
kind of put off by the reaction that a lot of people in this country in particular had, where there was this misunderstanding of what the song was about and thinking that it was this America is the best Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Trumpy make America great again style anthem. And it's actually the opposite. Yeah. And I think understanding about his politics and about, you know, the subject matter of his his work, as well as just appreciating the music itself, really helped me to... Um uh, that that was my kind of entry point. The way that I got into his music was, um, yeah, just having a greater appreciation of the the, the person right. um, uh, helped me to appreciate the music as well. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I think as well there's that difference with, I mean, because he as a person as well as his music just seems to me being British uh, ingrained into the DNA of America and, and mm-hmm. what, sort of the very fabric of, you know, it's macho and it's it seemed like winning and it was about, presenting this kind of very much a kind of a, seemingly a man's man and and um that just exuded confidence and and i think i don't know that for, for me it seemed it was it was quite intimidating and i think yeah learning a bit more about him and actually understanding that a lot of the the characters and the voices that he affects and that he well lending his voice to the the plight of the downtrodden really is would be more his stick and and the more you look at him you kind of realize it's about finding where there's hurt and there's there's people who've been overlooked and marginalised, and I think that was um there's a real kind of a sense of empathy that that is sort of the main drive really behind what he's writing. And um it actually just it, that reminds me as well it was something probably around the same time. Um and I, I'm bringing this up this terrible segue because um obviously having seen Brian Dennehy has just um died mm. um mm-hmm. and I I happened to to see Brian Dennehy in um. Would you say Dennehy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it is Dennehy. Yeah. Is it? Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would say like that. that is the American pronunciation, at least. That's very generous of you, Adam. Thank you I, very I don't much. Know, I don't know how he said it. I never heard him say it. So I just, who knows? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't say, you know, we, how, we were incredibly tight or anything like that. But uh, I did see him. <laughs> Three times um, as uh, Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman mm. uh, over here in the West End, and I, I don't think I've ever seen anything twice. And it's it just affected me so it, on, on so many levels to the point where I even uh, managed to organise all of my parents and um, all of my parents. I have seventeen parents, Adam. It's <laughs> another thing you might not know about me. Uh, I got my my family and uh, both parents to come along. I worked at Ticketmaster, so I was able to sort out little bit of a special thing but it was a big investment and I was like you have to see this show and they all absolutely hated it <laughs> but um but I was truly moved and, uh, and it's something again that uh, the voice there I'd say of Arthur Miller and and in that show it's almost like if you if you're if you're a fan of that you're going to get Springsteen at some point and I guess it it kind of goes on to the whole Steinbeck Arthur Miller canon perhaps that that sort of has helped influence and feed the great American songbook maybe but that's mm. that's certainly something that I think, yeah, if if you get that that understanding of uh of kind of forfeited desire and, and thwarted want, then then you're gonna get Springsteen at some point. And I, I think you, you know, it's um and it's sort of about where you're at in your life as well when you've when you've discovered a, a certain musician. And it's why, you know, that will perhaps resonate with you more fully than than someone who, you know, on paper might be even a um it might be more accomplished in some ways, but it finds you, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a slightly less cringy way, but resorted to nevertheless. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 
I also let that comparison to Miller and, and Steinbeck, I think, is really good. It's like this work that feels like something that is so weighty. And so there's there's this kind of edge of expectation, like you need to already have an appreciation for it before you even try to engage with it, because it has this legendary status, this uh, yeah. idea that these are the greats of American yeah, yeah. art. and. I think allowing yourself to kind of get rid of those expectations or try to minimize them as much as you can when you're engaging with this kind of work, because it is just storytelling. And mm. I, I think you're setting yourself up by thinking, oh, God, this is a yeah. three and a half hour play and it's going to be <laughs> eternal. And I'm just going to yeah. you kind of have to go into it, uh, removing those expectations as much as possible and just let it happen to you. And um, yeah, Bruce yeah. Springsteen, is, it's the same way. It's like it is really at sometimes very dense storytelling and you have to really be switched on and engaged with it to be able to kind of appreciate the, the fullness of it. I, I mean, that's that's not to say that you can't just listen to Bruce Springsteen as pop music as well, um, that he definitely has written songs that are, you know, dancing in the dark or whatever, that it's oh, yeah. uh, a little bit easier to just kind of have on in the background. But um, mm. as a as a, a body of work, um, I think also when somebody is as prolific as he is, having that enormous amount of music to dive yeah. into, that knowing where to start can be difficult. But uh, yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I, I mean, and also it's not to say it's just... It's not going to have the same reaction for everybody, and and partly because mm. of the maybe it's it's what you've gone through yourself as well that that will that helps it sort of chime with you, and and maybe you'll be into it for different different reasons. So it's something like, I mean, you said yeah, Dancing in the Dark or Born to Run, which I just think you know I, I heard that as an adult and realised I'm like yes, that's what I'm going to get cremated to, and um, <laughs> and I'm almost excited to that for that you know because it's it, that song it's so. It does everything. Um, mm. It's it's sort of an incredible rock opera that stays just the right side of meatloaf for me, you know. Yeah. Um, but but then and again, there is a like you say storytelling, and I think that's that's such a good point. And it's there's there's real understatement in his work, and I guess it's that variety that makes Bruce Springsteen so three dimensional. When you when you hear something like it's on Nebraska Highway Patrolman, I think it's the the title, and it's just a beautiful story about a brother looking out for for his blood and you know struggling with that and and it's just so simple and so beautiful and yeah refined and that that again it was just such simple storytelling and yeah he makes it look easy yeah yeah and you know telling stories that are meaningful um that you know that there's a point to them and that there is that undercurrent not not universally it's not every song that that has this kind of political charge to it but mm. knowing that he's somebody who is very vocal in his support for women's rights for mm -hmm. lgbtq rights all of the kind of pillar liberal causes yeah and that he puts his money where his mouth is um a lot of the time and is is really willing to help people out to lend his voice in whatever way he can to support the causes that he believes in and that that comes through in his music through the lyrics a lot of the time yeah no absolutely and i think it's um i mean even uh, reading bits about uh, well just from his his autobiography where he he was talking about not feel, feeling drawn to a side of the story but not feeling not really sure of how to be an activist in that sense in the 60s and knowing what he believed to be right and and standing up um, giving a voice to to marginalized peoples and as well as 
being, um, as you were saying, with being an advocate of, of women, particularly uh, in music, I suppose Patti Smith would come to mind with their collaboration on Because the Night and that kind of, his, his ability to do it very authentically. And I think just from myself playing in bands, I feel that pressure of not wanting to, to patronise, I suppose, as well as a, as a straight white guy. And there's a, an element of privilege being middle class, um, of course. So how he's still managed to, to sort of do that without being on a soapbox and, and being, I'm feeling like he's, you're being hectored, I think, by someone who is, hasn't gone through even those same things by his own admission. And I, I think that's being able to kind of let the music do the talking in a lot of ways. That's, uh, and really then, then it pronounces the power of his art and, and shows what, what power there is there. And that's something I mean, yeah, it's, it's hugely commendable and something aspirational. Yeah. And as, as you were saying, like using his music to write in the voice of the, the people that he's championing, the, the causes that he wants to uh, mm. shine a light on. Um, yeah. And in that way, again, uh, it's, it's like Steinbeck or Miller yeah. like, ha- having this ability to, it, it's like each song is a, a novel <laughs> in, its, mm. in its own yeah. right. Um, and uh, it's, it's quite an amazing skill. Definitely, definitely. And I think, I mean, it's, and he, even him as, as the, the person he is, but what, being able to then talk about his own struggles with mental health and um, th- how that's affected his genealogy with his father and how that strained their relationship and how um, he's struggled and has also had relied on, uh, got a lot from therapy as well as antidepressants. That's something that, that suddenly made him human and relatable from this sort of pedestal that say pop culture would put him on and i think that was again it showed quite a bravery and to sort of hold up his weaknesses uh, as they can be seen and and i think it, it sort of turns it on its head again and it, and it becomes a strength and it it becomes something that's for me was was another entry point and i think again just having found him around the, my 30s when which was a, a taxing time and I'd, I'd look back at those certainly my early 30s and um i sort of was a about to go into quite a, a few years of, of having therapy and dealing with what, what it sort of meant to, to I guess, be, be a man as well and be embrace all the sensitivities that, that I, I certainly felt growing up in Reading. It was, you know, those, those things are, are considered weaknesses. And um, yeah, it was someone who was able to have achieved such things while still being very human. That, mm. that yeah, had a, a lasting effect. Yeah. And uh, I just coming back to this whole um, the image from Born in the USA, which I think is mm. if for anybody who doesn't really know much about him, that is the the lasting, you know, that was the moment where he really exploded globally and um, became this international superstar. And that image or the image that people project onto him, uh, you know, him standing in front of American flag. And I mean, that's, that's the album cover. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that idea of this, like really almost, I don't know, aggressive, but like cocky masculinity, Mm. um, and knowing if you dig a little deeper that it's actually much more vulnerable. His, his music is, you know, there, there is, uh, harder masculinity that's there, but there's also room to expose himself and uh, to, you know, show his emotions and to, he's much more multifaceted than that initial kind of surface level mm. picture may be for, for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, see, I think 
I think as well, though, there's, there's something, and, and as hearing both you and myself sort of kind of lay these plaudits at, at his feet, I kind of, I'm also <laughs> feeling this, this kind of need to go, you know, though, I still don't get Tunnel of Love. There's this mm. album of his. I still can't, I don't think I've ever even been able to listen all the way through. I just, I don't know, there's something, maybe it's the, the production, maybe it's just a little dated for my ears, but, and not in a good way, but I don't know, there's, there's some things. And, and even, I've got to say, you know, he's, they're, they're, he got a bit of a lashing in this book um, view, what is it, The Mansion on the Hill. And it's sort of, uh, it was written by a former editor of Rolling Stone, and I cannot remember his name. But he, he raises interesting points about how Springsteen, there's always clearly been this hugely ambitious side, and he's wanted to be on top for so long. And that, there's that drive, you know, it leaves in its wake, I guess, some, some victims. And even the, the fact of his ticket prices were always like exorbitantly high. And, um, mm. and despite, you know, um, kind of, uh, the idea of being, giving a voice to blue collar people in America, yet kind of pricing them out of his shows almost. And yeah. I'm, I guess I feel that need to kind of, you know, he's still human. He's still fallible. And for me, that doesn't denigrate him to the point of me saying any of his, his work isn't worth a hoot. It's just, I don't know. I just always feel that I struggle a bit with, with hero worship. Maybe that's just getting a bit older. You know, everyone, they're just people and he's yeah, going to make his yeah. foibles too. And he's, you know, you make enough records like that. It's not all going to hit the spot for you personally as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is a, a a good point with with any artist that you love. Like, there, mm. anybody is going to uh, any any person is going to let you down at some times, and um, uh, everyone is fallible. And even in you know that kind of expressing a range of emotions in his music, it's also like he expresses a range of different uh, styles and gets influenced by a lot of different things. And yeah, is going to make albums yeah. that are total shit and um yeah, and also yeah, sure. you know there's there's famous stuff about uh when he broke up with his first wife and you know his second wife who he's still married to uh mm. they started dating each other she was in his band and they started dating each other before his first marriage was over and he's said things publicly about you know he he was a shithead in the way that he dealt with that and that a lot of stuff mm. about his new relationship was kind of leaking out through the press to his uh estranged wife and so he's yeah it, it, like mm. uh there's there's always there's always room for improvement with any person. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and, and but that's you that's a good point because it's like well what do we what do we expect from these people you know genuinely it's like it's too much to expect perfection and with all those those points it sort of doesn't i kind of make them whilst also knowing it doesn't detract from my my appreciation of him or you know, and, and it would be the same with other people because that's what we are, right? That's, that's the point. We are mm. human beings. And, you know, that with, he has realized the, perhaps the full extent of his talents. And that's, you know, that's, that's something to behold. But that doesn't mean, yeah, you're going to get it right in every other area, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but speaking of people who are uh, truly infallible and have never, set a foot wrong should we have a little chat about uh, guns and roses <laughs> perfect <laughs> um absolutely I mean, wow. what, what is there to say those saints saints in black yeah. satin yeah um yeah yeah <laughs> i mean now, now i feel like i need to kind of just give like a little caveat which is i, I was young uh, you know it was uh it's the 80s here you know and look, I mean, don't. It's, it's that, a, I, I feel like I I set that up by uh, <laughs> making it seem like I was disparaging them. I'm on board. 
I am totally on board. They are, <laughs> uh, have made some, still, I, I think, fantastic music. I'm mm. like, you, you're not going to get any, uh, any pushback on, on this from me. Thank, thanks, Adam. I knew you'd have my back. And, you know, we can appreciate yeah. this is a time when toxic masculinity, if anything, it was cool, right? Right? Yeah. Hello? You can add crickets yeah, or something yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is coming out. And i really thinking about it. You, you can look back and, and see what the kind of diet that you were fed. And for me, I'm, I'm 41 now. And so at this time, it was like prime Schwarzenegger, Stallone. It was everywhere. And then, you know, musically, it was, like we say, if it wasn't born in the USA, then we've got, you know, Guns N' Roses coming along a few years later. And wow. I mean, the the testosterone levels were criminal. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's like the, this weird mix with them where it's like this absolutely cocky, they, like the, they epitomized rock stars behaving badly and, you know, mm. trashing hotel rooms and treating women like shit and getting in all sorts of trouble and just, you know, doing drugs and causing mayhem wherever they went. And then at the same time as having all this like personal stuff that was really negative and intense, also creating this music that was like everywhere. And can you classify their music as pop? I, I don't know. Mm. It's like it's 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 rock, but it's like it was it was so huge. It was such a yeah. uh, ubiquitous thing that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've heard it said, you know, if it's got a chorus, there's an argument to say it's pop in that sense yeah. of. It's got something that whoever wrote it wants you to to connect with and and usually sing along with. And I, I would definitely say, yeah, they absolute pop band. You know, it'd be interesting to hear like Spice Girls rework some of their work, maybe, because um, I, I think they could. Because you know, it's it's huge, hooky choruses, and yeah. and it's it's incredibly well written, and it couldn't have had that sort of reach at the time um, without it. And I. But I've, I've, again, I guess it's, it sits awkwardly with me now being a 41 year old and kind of, I, I couldn't call them like a modern day inspiration or in any way that I couldn't, I would struggle to see ways in which they've, they've perhaps even influenced me or songs I've written. But at that sort of formative time, they were there, I was there and they were unavoidable and they were so other. Again, growing up in Reading, which is, you know, just, uh, the, the, I guess it's like the equivalent of a flyover state over there um <laughs> where, and, and it's it, they were just the hair the pomp the, the high camp it, everything seemed so alien and and even down with their offstage antics and the, the way they they kind of played up to their bad boys idea to to this to, to myself i mean at, at the time heavily ensconced in um the local sunday school scene which was um you know burgeoning in reading at the time you know that's it was another world <laughs> genuinely it's it's a very and it's it's interesting to think why there was that kind of attraction, perhaps as well. And mm. that's that's a point of interest, maybe that you're you know, you're drawn to things that that aren't like you and people who are doing the things that you you don't even yeah that you you don't even necessarily want to do. But they're um that they were kind of at that time it seemed rewriting the rule book. And of course they weren't. They were just you know the Rolling Stones plugged in a bit louder. Yeah. It's so it's also really weird thinking about the kind of the the contrast between the hyper masculine energy mm. and this camp almost um mm. it's it's not like 
drag, <laughs> but it's like, it, it's you know, not, this very yeah. <laughs> ludicrous, like, you know, this long flowing hair. It's not quite as bad as like, uh, 80s hair bands where they had perms and stuff, but, um, it's all in that same family where it's this yeah. very over the top. It's, it's like pantomime. Yes. Um, yeah. And that that is something that is linked to hypermasculinity is really interesting. That it's like these two things that seem totally diametrically opposed, but they're yeah. just layered on top of each other. Yeah. No, that's that's a really a, it's good insight. And I I think I I remember the time watching my my mate's video uh, with him, and it's it's like they had 1990 show in Japan in Tokyo, and there, and I'm realizing I had this this realization that slash. My guitar hero is wearing leggings. And I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, you can, so you can do that. That's odd. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. And um, I mean, right now, don't, I'm sat here obviously talking to you in leggings, but you know, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's 2020. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come a long way. Um, yeah, but just like looking back through, uh, mm. uh, as I scroll through Google <laughs> Images, looking back through <laughs> some of the things they wore and, yeah, the whole collective style of the band. It's just ludicrous. And, you know, some of the stuff, the, the images like in their videos as well, It they were huge at a time when MTV was so important and so, uh, yeah. you know, all-consuming. That's where so many people uh, focused uh, their, their attentions for getting new music and um, knowing what was popular and uh, all of that. And these, again, very over-the-top kind of camp videos mm. for this music as well. Yeah, but I, but I, I remember actually, um, I'm just, I'm doing the same thing now, now that you've said that, and I'm just absolutely horrified um, <laughs> looking back. But they, um, I remember talking to my my friend who got me into them, and, um, and I could never understand why he seemed to sort of like the band and, and sort of idolise them again. And it's that same sort of point where he was so into them. He, he sort of wanted to sort of start dress like them, like wear a bandana or something embarrassing like that. And um, so I had to really question our friendship. And I did say, um, you do realize if they met you, they would hate you. Like we, we are the opposite. And, and really everything about their, their ethos is, is almost, it's kind of the opposite. I, I suppose I've lived my life on that idea of, I mean, they, they have been incredibly misogynistic, racist and, uh, homophobic, e everything that's kind of bad, they they exemplified. They just had some good songs, and I don't know. I don't know. I like to think you can't do that now, as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. My I'm drawing a blank, and and that, so to some in some sense as well, there is there's progress that's been made, and you know it's it's funny. It's like you can't necessarily choose the things that you come into contact with growing up because you don't have the ability to discern. And to kind of know what's, I don't know, what, what is of, of value uh, that goes mm. beyond the songs. And it's maybe, you know, okay, they're not like, maybe they're, then it's, it's not, there, there are levels of contention perhaps with, with say Michael Jackson. I know people who, who cannot listen to his music now in that same way. Mm. And I, I get that. And, and maybe there is an argument for this band as well to, to join that. Maybe there is certainly an argument to be had yeah. for that. I don't know. What do yeah. you think, Adam? Let me throw that ball into your uh, court. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, 
I, I have talked to people about Michael Jackson on this show. I've talked to people about Kanye West, other other kind of controversial figures who uh, people don't feel comfortable engaging with their, their uh, work anymore. And I'm of the mind that you can't throw away this art that's already in the world it's not going anywhere you just have to engage with it in context and you can't uh you can't ever go back to a time when listening to michael jackson was an innocent thing that's Mm. just like this is amazing music and i love it it's always going to be there's gonna be this extra weight attached to it um Mm -hmm. this knowledge of who he was as a as a person that they're inextricably linked now so i i don't know if i I mean, I, I don't I don't know that I seek out uh, his music anymore. I don't know if I just turn it mm. on when I'm, you know, cleaning the house or whatever. But yeah. I also don't have the reaction where I'm like, I want to leave a bar because they're playing right. it. But it's a very adult thing you're, you're suggesting that listen to it, have the music there, but also deal with the guilt. You're saying yeah. it's know, know what you're doing, know what you're yeah. supporting by yeah, selecting yeah. that on your streaming service. Yeah. It's also, you know, with with Michael Jackson's music, I think to me, it feels a little bit different because there were so many other people involved in making that music. And, Mm, you know, it's not just Michael Jackson's legacy, it's Quincy Jones's legacy and um, all these other people who whatever things they did in their personal lives that we don't know about who, who knows but they uh, are not being accused of the, as of the same things that he's being accused of whereas uh, you know with guns and roses i think <laughs> across the board they were all pretty guilty of shitty behavior mm. um but it's also a, a, this kind of weird sliding scale of terribleness where it's like oh does casual misogyny uh is that something that you can equate to child abuse allegations and you know where where is the line what do you say is the thing that makes you stop engaging with someone's work um i think that's just different for people for uh, different different circumstantially and different for uh for each individual person yeah yeah that's uh, true that would be a tenant of freedom right is that you get to vote with your ears if you don't like it don't, don't put it into your ears yeah (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. And it's a yeah. it's a weighty one to get your teeth into. But but and then you know you'd think you'd need to almost perform some sort of um like a life autopsy on the, the personal history of everyone whose music you're going to be listening to because right. you know it's just these are the ones we know about. Of course. Right. Right. And it goes across every art form as well. You know, it's the, you know, yeah, the thing, yeah, absolutely. You know, like people like Woody Allen um, or mm-hmm. Louis C.K. or, um, you know, yeah. an, anyone who has uh, done terrible things in their personal life. And you just have to kind of decide whether those terrible things mean that you, you know, it's uh, tainted your uh, experience of that person and their work so much that you can't go back to it or if you can try to compartmentalize things and say this is the work this is the context or if both of those things mm. have to be engaged with at the same time it's a lot it's a lot yeah, to think no, about it is it is it is yeah and and it's almost yeah yeah true because does it negate and it, well it doesn't negate the the works that have gone before in terms of they them as being standalone things but it's just like you say yeah whether or not you should actually still support that is maybe, yeah. well, like you say, a personal choice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Who, who, yeah. who saw that coming? Yeah. I, mean, I should have yeah. picked something uh, uncontentious. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. It's uh, we we like the uh, the peaks and troughs, you know, uh, yeah. lightness and uh, heaviness. So yeah, um, perhaps perhaps this is an excellent opportunity to move <laughs> on to uh, a less controversial figure, um, Moses Sumney. Yes. Who? Yeah. Uh, how how did you do? You remember getting introduced to his work? Um, I just remember. Um, probably it was through my uh, my following of uh, Sufian Stevens, and mm. um, I, I know uh, Moses opened up for some shows of his. I think it was. This is probably like like twenty fourteen or something, and um, there was just a palpable buzz around. Um, and that was sort of around the same time that he released his first EP. It was Mid City Island. That's certainly the first one I uh, recording I've come across yet. I think that was it. And um, yeah, and it just again from interesting being uh, I suppose well, uh, it's it's a more recent find and um, just it's funny again going back to the point of where you are when the music finds you, and with what it is you're kind of uh, you're listening to to the tunes and and for me it was finding something that felt so other to me and i mm. to be honest even first time i i heard his music i i didn't really know anything about him just listening to that ep i couldn't really get i couldn't gauge him i and i it wasn't the same as i mean you hear a, a, for instance a bruce springsteen song and you know he is this rough kind of white sounding older man and again it was a sense of other and alien to uh, what i'm hearing with with Moses Sumney, certainly to a, a boy from Reading. And and I just found it beguiling, I guess would be the word. And mm. like, oh, who is, from where is he singing from? And I'm trying to get my ears and my head round, round that idea. And I I love that I, he's, as of now, he's released his second album and it's this part, this part one of a, what will be a, a like a double album coming out mm. this year. And yet it's, I enjoy the journey, I guess, of hearing someone whose experiences are not are not equatable to mine, and and that is the the pleasure, I suppose. And it's it's finding uh, traveling in someone else's shoes, and that's something I could say from from any any good art, even to draw it back to Arthur Miller, or say really enjoyed something that always sticks out with me for Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, mm-hmm. and if you you know it, and there's but there's well, obviously, I mean, I think it was an Oprah. Uh, choice so I think everyone knows it right <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. but the uh, <laughs> the idea of what, what I enjoyed from that was feeling by the end I'd walked a mile in everyone's shoes and I felt like that much closer to say an elderly midwestern woman that I <laughs> whose whose life I I'll be honest at the outset I had very little interest in and I couldn't see her her point of view but by the end of that book I, I felt so kind of um attached to her and her experiences i can't remember her name so obviously not that attached but similarly <laughs> it's it's that that ability of art to kind of allow you an insight into someone else's life someone else's head and i think that it it what it did is create both with it's a weird point maybe to make with franzen and and Sumney, but they it makes the world feel a little smaller and, and mm. it's yet it's diverse it's it's more colorful because of that but yet you kind of feel like ah there's there's understanding to be had and, and shared experiences to be gleaned. And, and that was, I don't know, something I find, yeah, very, very exciting about listening to him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just 
going back to talking about what constitutes a pop song, I think uh, if mm. you're looking for what does not constitute a pop song, um, Moses Sumney is a good example. It's like the, his yeah. the song structure is so unusual. And so um, I, I felt exactly the same way listening to his music for the first time that it's like, I'm not quite sure what this is, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Could you and, put your, I mean, it's an interesting one to put your finger on, isn't it? What was it for you mm. then that, because, uh, yeah, that, that sort of made you, well, how, how did you hear about him? even i'm just curious is the i think i'm i'm quite a uh, voracious consumer of uh of music of all forms of art so i i you know uh read a lot mm. of music press and just try to kind of stay stay current i got to keep my finger yeah. on the pulse i'm getting older i need to uh make sure i'm down with the kids um sure. but uh uh, yeah, I think just re- reading about him in uh, a music website or or something, um, <laughs> and listening to the first album, listening to the the first EPs, and his voice is so <laughs> distinctive. It's really really unusual. And I think his earlier stuff, like that first album, the first um, full length album, it's much more up, up just about his voice. Uh, sometimes isolated on its own or layering mm-hmm. vocals and, and harmonies. And it's this kind of, yeah, otherworldly meandering, like, I don't know, not to get too wanky, but like the soundscape um, that mm. I, it just felt like this kind of uh, music that kind of washes over you. Um, mm. And that first album felt like the the whole thing was kind of a, a an experience to me and this new album it feels like all of his weirdest tendencies and all of the most abstract stuff has been amplified a million times in the best possible way it's like mm-hmm. so much more experimental and it feels like there's a bit more diversity in sound in this new uh, mm-hmm. album as yeah, well yeah the production has just hmm. changed it's a different beast isn't it yeah, but it, it's it's incredible. I'm I'm really into it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's an interesting one again to see because he's within without sort of kowtowing to those sort of modern structures or or pop and having necessarily going for big choruses. His following is is quite sizable, and mm. I was just in, impressed that he's able to break through to the to the degree that he has. And I think he's you know deserving of that audience, but it's it's rare. I think as well that you you get that much of a of a kind of a spotlight mm, when you're doing yeah. something that is so sort of well can be um, sort of considered more in the in the fringes. Yeah, and when the the new album came out, I was uh, talked a bit about about it on on the show, and it felt to me like Kate Bush and Prince uh, made an album mm. together or something. That it's like this that kind of over the top, um, yeah. lush expansive uh, almost operatic kate bush feeling and yeah yeah the weirdness of prince's vocals and like you mm-hmm. know really using the full uh breadth of his range you know mm. some kind of falsetto stuff and some kind of uh using like the deepest uh tones that he can achieve really pushing himself to to sound as as different as he can from song to song um yeah and yeah just really uh, it's it's really refreshing to (laughs) listen to music that is really takes me by surprise and um where i don't quite understand what's happening while i'm listening to it and you really have to like engage with it yes yeah i i that that's a good way of putting it i think yeah it's not understanding it and it's I, I would 
as I'm about to, to struggle to put it into words what exactly draws you in. But it's there's uh, it, there's even a, a just the through line of, of the visuals to the music, and you can't really talk about him without kind of acknowledging that that it's so well thought through that it's he is a very much a three dimensional artistic proposition because it, it's he looks uh, like the music sounds in the videos. They they come across that's been the the aesthetic has been so well realised. I think even when there are there are moments and, you, and I think those are some great references and you can spot for me as well. There's a little bit of like TV on on the radio um, mm-hmm. uh, in there, and I'm, I'm thinking of this science probably era that that kind of thing on some of the the musculature and the in, in the production. But mm-hmm. but visually, again, it just helps create this like a depth, I guess, of perception that oh okay, this he's the real deal. It's it's yeah. all there. Everything has been thought through in terms of presentation. And it feels, mm-hmm. and again, it's an interesting one to, um, something that I'm thinking with, with Springsteen as if it was very authentic, it feels him. And yet he's telling other people's stories. And so there's always characters. And with Moses Sumney, I don't really know what's going on. I think it's him. Yeah. It feels authentic, yeah. but it, it still feels him. And yet there is very much, he's presenting, he's giving us like a, a creation. And I, I, yeah, I can't get my head around it. But it, yeah. it at once feels authentic and presentational. Presentational. Yeah. But without any of that feeling uh, false, it, 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 mm. I think that, that, that contrast of this music that feels like it's all over the place, but in the best possible way, and where it's kind of difficult to describe and kind of difficult to understand um and you have to just kind of let it take you where it takes you but also having this very cohesive image and this idea this like whole album campaign you visually um you you definitely understand exactly what's going on and it's really clear from both the music and from from the imagery that it's all very well thought out it's all you know there is a plan Mm. and it's just kind of letting yourself be taken on that uh that journey with him that's yeah that's well put yeah I, and i think thematically as as well as another through line that helps the cohesion just knowing that his um it seems to me to his his this quest of identity of figuring himself out as well and mm. and that exploration diving deeper into himself and and again it's an odd one i, I quite like then you know using a, a polar part of of someone like springsteen where you've got this idea of trying to understand yourself by looking at other people and that that kind of the, these different ways of of kind of getting a, a voice across and at the same time finding your own whilst trying to give someone else their voice and that that's something to say springsteen's done or even if it's a like to go old school again like tom waits who's just made a career of playing this other character um and yet you kind of got moses sumney who is diving kind of peeling the onion of his own psyche yeah put that on the poster yeah yeah and this this you know i think the contrast from the first to the second album i have a friend who Mm. said that he doesn't like the new image because he's he feels like he's tried to rebrand himself as a cool person and to me it's like the first album was much he he still had a style but it felt a bit more reserved like just a uh musician who's styled for the stage and now it's like he's pushing the boundaries a lot more the gloves are off this 
yeah, the stuff that he's wearing, it's like this, you know, weird mm. futuristic kind of uh, Alexander McQueen feeling stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that. just kind of taking things in a new direction. And it does feel like you're kind of, he, he, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's not like you understand exactly what's happening, but it feels like he is exploring who he is and trying to learn himself. And you're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I think the the fact that, I don't know, the, the music can, that this is being produced and to this high level. And again, just, I'm staggered, just garnering that audience of people as well who are who are up for the journey and up for doing that. And I guess inherently then it, it affords you to ask questions about yourself and to think, well, okay, how do I relate to this journey of identity? Because I think, and again, something I always had as a, um, a little, um, what do you call it, like a flashbulb moment for, for me was hearing um, Sufjan Stevens' uh, Welcome to the Illinois. And there's the first track on that album. And I remember a, uh, a friend sent me that this, this album, and it's, it's the first track is concerning the UFO sighting over Highland, Illinois. And it's very prescriptive about exactly what that song is about. And yet mm. I totally disregarded that. And it just became something utterly different and ethereal to me because that's where the, the music took me. And mm-hmm. I kind of think that's, that's sort of the joy that once you've released in this body of work, even for Moses Sumney, this music isn't his own now. It's kind of, it becomes co-opted by everyone who's listening to it. And so even though it might be written from a point of him wanting to get to a deeper understanding and to, to know himself or, or, and to just go further into his own quest for identity, it's also going to be his audience, his soundtrack to doing the same thing and doing what it means for them, even mm. though it's, it seems very particular and very much about him and his quest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we have uh, covered a lot of ground and uh, I think we've done a good job. We've, we've both done a lie down in a dark room. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, uh, yeah. A- absolutely amazing though. Uh, I, I really love when it's, uh, I'm talking to somebody who can really dig into the, the stuff they want to talk about. And I think you've, you've done that very well. So thank you very much. Not at all, Adam. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, well, thank you so much again. This was this was really really fun. Um, if people who are listening want to keep up with uh, what's going on with you and uh, Whitetail Falls stuff happening, which is uh, I do just need to say that music is totally amazing. I'm uh, really really loving it. Oh, thank you, mate. Cheers very much. Yeah, thanks. Well, um, by all means, you 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 know you're welcome to check me out at whitetailfalls.com or i'm on instagram and all over the shop at whitetail falls and uh the my the debut album is coming out on may the 29th amazing um yes everybody check it out it's really really great stuff um good great so thank you so much again uh and great to talk to you and stay safe and uh all of that yeah thank you adam yeah you too all the best a real pleasure take care cheers bye Bye now. That was objectively fantastic, wasn't it? Thanks again to Irwin. Listen to the Whitetail Falls album when it comes out. In fact, why don't you just download it? As I already mentioned a couple of times here, it's great. You're going to love it. And now some other things I think you're going to love. Firstly, devs. Alex Garland's sci-fi show on FX and Hulu. It's great. It's a bit of a slow burner, and it's not going to be for everyone. But it's for me, and that's what counts, right? 
The cast is incredible. Sonoya Mizuno and Nick Offerman are particular standouts. And Jeff Barrow from Portishead had a hand in the soundtrack, as he does with all of Alex Garland's work. And the music is weird and intense and perfect. And if you'd like something on the lighter side, Little Dragon's latest album, New Me, Same Us, is also great. It's nice and chill, like all of Little Dragon's stuff. And I can never, ever get enough of Yukimi Nagano's voice. So check that out, too. And that is it. Same deal as always. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Please rate and review the show. And I mean a nice review, the kind of review you would write if you were really trying to impress me. Dazzle me with your wit. Other than that, stay safe, stay sane, stay home, and wash those motherfucking hands. Until next time, bye!